right, bitch. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) On the recording, you hit record. You said, that's right, bitch, is the first thing. Incredible audio. (laughs) All right. I'm ready whenever you are. I think that was the start. Today looking for Garza backside and in for the first goal in Atlanta United history from Yamil Assad. Take a look at history. Starship final, Jason Jones from the Mothership and Dirty South Soccer, Jeff Patrick from 90.9 The Game and Dirty South Soccer and Rob Street, the founder of Dirty South Soccer, is over there. Uh, say hey, Joe. Uh, hey, Sam. Nice to see you again. It's been a while. It's been a second. It's been a second, and largely because the, there's so little to say when things are just so, so poor and continuously poor and consistently poor. You have to say something, I guess, uh, for Atlanta United's consistency over the last few weeks. Got to bless them. Yeah, consistently, consistently disappointing mm-hmm. and dreadful to watch. Let me go ahead and pose this question to the room. Are y'all numb yet? Because I got known like a couple weeks ago where I was like, I'm not even. You did. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm laughing at everything. This is funny now. <laughs> it's like an evolved form of sports fandom to go ahead and say, hey, this is who we are. Let's I, don't, it. I don't know if numb describes my feeling. Um, my feeling's not good. Like, It's not numb, though. I'm just more like, it's like morbid curiosity to me. Okay. It's like like the game last night against Chicago Fire. Um I was just like expecting things to go actually even more downhill than they ended up going in that game. I thought Chicago actually kind of sat sat off and didn't punish Atlanta as much as they could have. Um, but like, I'm just, I just feel like I, one of those really miserable results is around the corner, like kind of similar to the Nashville one where it's like you give up four or five goals, you know, yeah. even worse than that potentially if you're playing against a good team, like four or five, nothing, something like that. Those results can be kind of like, uh, catastrophic. So I'm kind of just like sitting around waiting to see if or when that's going to happen because honestly, it just seems like Atlanta United gets played off the park in every game they play now. You know, it's not even close. And like you said, it could have been worse last night. Now, I think one of the things that makes it so easy to kind of for me to get numb is that the game is usually over after about you give it five or six minutes. United's <laughs> already given up a goal. <laughs> So it's kind of not, I do applaud them for for just go ahead and, and getting it out of the way. Why toy with us for a little bit? Um, yeah. It was a little disheartening last night. I had this like this slight optimism in my mind that after that Dallas game where they came out and looked like it. Well, <laughs> you know how we make fun of the Red Bulls for being relatively like not super talented but kind of cohesive in a way it felt a lot like watching a red bulls game which felt kind of dirty but mm-hmm. also it was like invigorating to see them at least trying um and then and then last night they came out and just completely just put a kibosh on anything like that happening which was nice so uh, after the game last night i was asking glass and the players i wanted i was asking them all about how difficult it is to play a game the same day that you have to travel because i remember seeing the video of them like uh, that they put on social media of them like getting on the bus and getting on the plane and all that stuff. And it was like, you know, the sun wasn't even up yet. And it's like, man, I was just thinking to myself watching. It's like, that is a long day <laughs> to have yeah. to get on a plane at the crack of dawn and then play a game that night. 
uh, it's just brutal. But of course, Glass and the players, like no one wants to make an excuse, right? Like no one wants to appear like they're, um, yeah, trying to provide like some excuse for the way they're playing. So no one wants to really talk about it, which is kind of disappointing. But I do think that people need to understand that it is very, very difficult to go on the road and win right now with the way the season is. And so it makes it even worse when you lose games at home, like we've seen Atlanta United do to teams that aren't that great, like Miami, inner Miami. I mean, they're obviously yeah. going to be better now with Gonzalo Higuain, but I mean, when we played them, they were, uh, you know, near the bottom of the table or maybe even at the bottom of the table. So I, I, I just think it's a more important part of these fixtures than, than is kind of being talked about. Let's bring Rob into, into this. Rob, what have, yeah, been, what have your, been your feelings uh, these last couple of weeks? Yeah. I mean, all things considered, I think I'm in a pretty good place especially when you consider teams like um, DC United or maybe even the you can count on the Atlanta Falcons who going through all these struggles and yet have no end in sight when it comes to like a long-term vision. The Atlanta United has already made those choices to free up the future and, you know, go on forward. So it's a lot easier to take than it would be if, you know, they hadn't made those tough choices already and, you know, we have something to look forward to in, you know, two or three months' time. Hi, yeah. I love the optimism. <laughs> wow, the, op- the optimism is that they've already ended it. <laughs> you know, I'm you know, you know I'm you know I'm one of the most pessimistic per- people you can find. But I've already given up on this season. Like, even if we yeah. make even if we make the playoffs and get blitzkrieg by Philadelphia or you know whoever, it doesn't matter. I mean, who cares if we right. make the playoffs? I'm imagining like one of Rob's pets getting sick and then being like, fuck it, let's just put it down <laughs> and like a day later. <laughs> Here we think go, man. Next I got about the next one. On to the next one. Let's go. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. You know, I was actually just thinking about that. Like, well, we, I mean, we've talked about it before. I think that one of the positives that, one, you know, one of the positive things about them um, part wazing Frank DeBoer was just the the speed at which it came because I think we could all see that it was the right thing that the club needed to do at the time. It wasn't going to fix everything, but I think that we all saw that it was just like an untenable situation. You weren't going to be turning things around with him at the helm, so you needed to make the move, and they did. They they went ahead and they they did it quickly. They were decisive, um, and I think that that was um, a good kind of start when we talk about kind of how this team needs to get itself sorted out heading into the future. And then we kind of saw a similar thing with Pitti Martinez, you know, um, they made a, you know, a quick decision on that one, but it, I think it was the right decision clearly to get that amount of money for a player like Pitti or just the way that Pitti had performed in MLS, you know, to make a profit on that, be able to add all the allocation money that you get from making a profit. I thought that was good. So they are doing some things that are assertive, you know, um, but clearly there's still more to do, especially when it comes to the roster. Um, I was thinking, you know, while we're, being optimistic i was reminded i i kind of like pinched myself um just just when i was watching one of the twos games recently and it's like man there is a ton of talent down here and this is going to be the thing that keeps atlanta united um like not a float that's not the right term for it but it's just going i i just feel like it's going to be a constant source of like MLS level role player types at the minimum. And I think that, you know, and obviously with a lot of potential for better players like George Bellows and and players like that beyond those types. So I think that there is kind of a a good foundation for this organization really long-term, but in the 
medium term, short to medium term, things get a lot, <laughs> a lot dicier. But if they make the right DP signings, you know, things can turn around in a hurry. Speaking of DPs, Marcelino Marino just bought his parents a house, apparently. Um, so good for him. That was on, that was on the mothership, and I missed it. Um, but hey, that, that's that's huge. Um, but y'all, huge. Joe, it's huge. Joe Patrick and Rob. <laughs> are way more into the scouting thing than me, as I was trying to say a second ago. Um, what can y'all tell us about this guy? Um, what do we know about him besides he looks out for his family, which is nice. It's very fast and furious of him. Yeah, I mean, Rob? Yeah, it, it seems like he's you know more of a two-way type of player than Pity Martinez was, where he was an all-out attacker. Um. As far as the overall signing goes from a designated player point of view, I'm obviously a little... I think he's more of a borderline designated player as to where, you know, Atlanta United has a history of, you know, making that big splash. And I'm not sure that this particular signing is a huge splash. I think it's more viewed towards the future and maybe hopefully, in my opinion, buying him down from that designated player tag and just becoming, you know, a very strong squad player. But for right now, I think it's a obviously a huge boost to the squad who is desperate for any type of spark. Um, our, our pal Toyota football is, you know, they got dug into the numbers and it seems like he's going to be a, a player who really loves to dribble around the field and get past players up and down the field. So I think he'll add a very entertaining aspect uh, to the squad, uh, you know, with, all, with, mm-hmm. the, with the COVID and how Steven Glass likes to slowly matriculate players into the squad. It might not, we might not see him for like two or three games for the season. So who knows how much of an impact we'll have the season. But I'm, I mean, overall, I'm excited for him. But I just don't think we need to pile too many expectations on him to be a game-changing signing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I think that he's – I think that he does – he is the kind of profile I think that the team needs in terms of a player that can really carry the ball from – um like from midfield and in, into the attack. Like really like kind of connect the the front to the – back I guess um because Atlanta United had that player in Darlington Nagby in the past they even had it in a guy like Miguel Almiron that was always the one thing about Miguel um that I'll always remember is like when you watch games from the press box when you get the uh, you know you only notice these things from the from the press box um that's that's a joke by the way I'm not getting any laughs from our from the audience here uh you, like Joseph would all would all the time just be isolated by himself really up front and then Atlanta United would recover the ball in their own territory. And then you had this speeding bullet in Miguel Almiron who could just literally carry the ball all the way up to Joseph, essentially. Um, like on whether it be on a counter, um, typically it would happen on like more counterattack uh phases of play. But hopefully he can be that kind of player because right now Atlanta is just having so much trouble trying to get the ball into the attack. Like we saw it last night against Chicago. There was nothing going through the middle. And, of course, that's going to happen when you don't really have quality attacking midfielders like Ezekiel Barco, who's not on the field for you. You just don't have that kind of creativity. If you look at the passing chart from last night, there was like hardly anything that happened in the final third. All the chances that were created were happening from crosses, especially deep crosses where the the cross was being, being put in almost before the team was really entering that final third. You know, lots of times you'll see teams try to play down the flanks and then they'll kind of, you know, they'll move into the corner and then they maybe try to create an overload there on the in those wide areas on the edge of the box. And right now, this Atlanta United team is just they don't have the the technical the players with the technical ability to be able to 
try to carve through a team like that. So hopefully uh, Marino will kind of help help in that regard. But, you know, we'll see. My thought is it doesn't seem like a, like a panic buy. It seems like someone uh, buy you would make if you kind of felt you had a little bit of job security, which good for Eels and Boca. <laughs> that way. Um, which, I mean, they're fine. They're, they're not going anywhere. They can make these kind of moves and, and you can kind of rely on them, hopefully, to get something like this right. It feels like a, a foundational thing more than like an, oh, we, we need to score, so let's go buy like some high-priced attacker. No, it feels kind of like a, a way to steady the ship a little bit. Do y'all kind of get that feeling too? Yeah, definitely not a, a Kubo Torres or a Jurgen Van <laughs> type of. I mean, Kubo Torres was literally like he's like designated as like a replacement player or whatever. Yeah, so like, yeah. I mean, it is what it is. But some of these free transfers that have gone down um, seem like dart throws a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but and this one does not. To, to your point, I think that this one makes a lot of sense and fills a hole that Atlanta United has uh, in its roster right now. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, and then also, I I mentioned Barco. This is a, such an interesting story to me. The fact that this this tra- this transfer deadline is coming up, and he's <clears throat> he's hurt. I guess like we don't know exactly. He's doing training. He's in modified training, which is like, that's <laughs> like Julian Russell was in modi- modified training too, before he went to, wow. to DC United. Like, I mean, and maybe it is perfectly mod- like they need to modify cause he's got, cause he feels something in his leg, but, um, who knows like really how severe that is. And that whole situation is just a mess because they need to either get rid of him. They need to sell him this window or next window before I think he will start winding down his, he'll be under one year left on his uh, contract and no team wants to be dealing with that situation. So I think they're going to have to try to sell him, but I can understand why they would be in a pinch here with him um, because, you know, the, the contract is already run down to a point where teams can really try to, you know, give Atlanta United terrible offers um, hoping that they'll be feel forced to accept it. So just another, like, you know, it's just, it's really tough when the team is struggling so much and to not have a player like him out there that, you know, could help you and and would help you um, in those central areas. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think enough people are talking about the contract aspect or even paying attention. I think that's a very good point. Um, I do want to clarify one thing though, with these, you know, "Quote unquote conspiracy theories that we're putting out there, we're not direct. We're not saying that the team is lying. We're not calling them liars. We're not, you know, doing it, calling mm-hmm. them nefarious things. It's not abnormal for a team to, you know, hold out a player, uh, you know, if they're, you know, have a chance to be transferred to save them from injury. So, right, we're just throwing out these possibilities because it seems such an abnormal thing to do for." Ezekiel Barco to keep picking up these small injuries without him, you know, showing up on the injury reports or anything like that. We're just throwing out these possibilities. We're not, you know, accusing of any anyone of, you know, being nefarious or being uh, shady. We're just throwing out these theories just as, as possibilities. My guess is that he will they he will still be held out one more game um, for this game on October third. The transfer window for most of the leagues in Europe is on October 5th. And so I think that if he were to be involved in a transfer, then um, obviously you don't want to put him at risk before that. And then after that, then you're beyond that point. So I think he would then 
uh, rejoin the team. And I think that will help him a lot, too, because he needs to perform as well. Like he hasn't really. um, Yeah, I mean, he hasn't performed up to his optimal standard here recently. And I understand why it's because it's very hard to it's hard to be like the single great player on your team in soccer. You kind of need to build a, a team of cohesive pieces uh, in order to, in order to really show your best. So it's just a tough situation for him. But I think that if you can get him toward the end of the season playing with a guy like Marcelino Moreno, you know, maybe you have something there. Maybe you have something there that you can work with and you pair, you know, more technical players like them alongside more hardworking, pacey players like John Gallagher and Jake Mulraney. And maybe you can get something going toward the end of the season. But I mean, to Rob's point, it's not like we're kind of holding out hope that the end of the season is going to provide some sort of victorious feeling or anything like that. But it would just be good to see this team, you know, put together some performances that you feel like you you can want to get behind and support as a fan. Yeah. To build, to build off Sam's point actually earlier about uh, the, the Dallas game, I think it's really important to highlight those moments in the season where things do go well. And we, you know, there is a little bit of hand of optimism if you focus on those and then like, when the bad times come and kind of, you know, just push them to the side and say, well, this season is, is washed. Who cares if we have a bad season or, or performance and focus on, I was, and I was really excited about that Dallas performance just because it looked like we had a, a clear vision of what we wanted to do. And so if you just focus on that, I mean, it's going to make the season a lot easier to handle. So after the, um, after that win against Dallas, we were, um, talking to Jeff and I can't remember if Florenowitz if he brought this up on his own or somebody asked him about it but he started talking about the identity of the team and it's a question that we've had you know a lot of Atlanta United media have been talking about it's like what is the identity of this team now that it's so much different from what the teams we were accustomed to seeing were and he, he kind of like laid out like more of like a marketing plan in my opinion he's like it can be the identity of the, the team can be around the young young players and improvement and stuff like that um, but <laughs> leave it to Jeff to do a SWOT analysis during a press <laughs> conference. <laughs> love it, I love it. But I, I think, I think what he was getting at was like, I think that people can get behind. They people know that this season is gone to hell, right? It happens. It's sports. You had your best player get injured. It's like you know, you're 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 not turning this around. But if you have a team out there that's working hard, that you just feel like you can root for you know, then that can be something that can galvanize the players um, and and the collective as well. I just kind of want to see how long this will go. <laughs> no, it can. <laughs> it can. You're absolutely right. Um, and, and like any little morsel we can kind of grab onto um, from any of this is going to be kind of huge for our psyches going forward and, and kind of huge for the psyche of this team when it comes back next year, hopefully, and can maybe even have people in the stands, you know, that besides the 5,000 they're going to have or whatever in the next month or so, um, you know, you, you do kind of worry a little bit about losing that spark and losing that energy this team has had. And anything positive, literally anything, <laughs> anything at this Joseph point. Martinez's uh, rehab seems to be going well. There we go. Like little things like that. It's it's going to be critical, you know. So if Zeke does get back and then starts doing things, you know, it'll it'll be nice at the very least to have someone in the midfield who looks even remotely like they know what they're doing. Because right now, that's the biggest thing for me is that this midfield is just hot trash. I don't have a nice way to say it. They're they're awful. They're genuinely awful. 
I mean, we we said it earlier this season, right? Where it's like uh, it's never good when Jeff Lorenowitz is being relied upon as like one of your core central midfielders. You uh, said that. I didn't say that. Okay. Wait, please get that straight. <laughs> but no, you're right. It's exactly right. You you, you can't be sitting there and as much as we love Jeff, 37 years old or wherever he is now. Um, is he 37? I think I made that up. I, think I don't think that's right at all. 36. Okay. Um, but still, you know, if you have that as a, as a key cog in the machine right now, then uh, you, you might be might be moving a little slowly. And that's certainly the case, especially defensively right now, because Chicago just ran straight through there. There was no like line breaking necessary because there was no line to break. They just ran straight to the back line and, and torched us the entire time. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was not good. We made Chicago look like a like they were like a top four team in the East or something. <laughs> the way that they were able to really just carve right through Atlanta, and um, it was just not good. And that Remedi turnover was just so bad. <laughs> the next time someone tries to fight with us about Remedi on Twitter, we're gonna just clip that and show it as a gift. It was pretty, pretty encapsulating of a lot of his, his time. I think we need to give Toyota football a lot of credit for kind of reading the tea leaves on this one. Thanks to the new metric that he has helped. He and others at American, um, American soccer analysis have helped create this goals plus, uh, metric, um, that rated Eric Remetti as one of the worst central midfielders, uh, in MLS <laughs> last year, not in, t- in 2018. I don't, I think he was much, much better. Okay. Last year was really bad, and I—I th- I mean, I think everybody saw it. Like his form was way worse last year, and somebody has said it too recently. Um, maybe it was in our Slack room or or something, but it's just like when you have worse players on the field together, even the good players are going to look worse. You know, it's like we've seen it with Ezekiel Barco. Uh, it's so it's like part of this is individual, but also it's like if you put Eric Rometty on a team where he's got Miguel Almiron next to him, he's got Darlington Nagby around him, he's got all these good players around him then all of a sudden he's able to do the things that he's good at and not be relied on to do the things that he's not good at. But that hasn't been the case, I think, much of much of last year and a lot of this year. A great example of that is the team we're about to play. Yeah, I mean, you look, you look up at D.C. and you see Gressel and Assad just floundering, essentially, mm-hmm. right? It's yep. because they just don't have the players around them. They, they can't be themselves, essentially. They can't highlight their best attributes, you know? Um, it's It's very apparent that no one in this squad right now is able to maybe even have good best attributes I guess. <laughs> as kind of harsh as that is i just i just don't see it with this team in a lot of ways and even the players that we've kind of gotten used to seeing being at least okay can't even do that right now yeah, i know we i know we said um we'd focus on the positives but let's just talk for a minute about how Brad Guzan threw Fernando Fernando Meza under like three buses last night um, after that second goal. I mean, that was, I don't think anyone's really talked about it because uh, you know, that's people try to avoid that kind of stuff, but it was, it was kind of funny to me last night how he did that. Okay. I I outright missed this and I'm sure other people did as well. Can we, can we talk a little more about this? All right. So Guzan was asked, I think I want to say it was actually Joe who maybe asked the question about what happened on actually it was Sydney, sorry. Sydney asked the question, um, what happened on the second goal and Brad Guzan was talking about, 
you know, overall team defending and how he sees Chicago fire, you know, swarming our attack every chance they get. But then he, he asked specifically what happened on the goal and talking about how he saw from Fernando Mesa step up and try to play offsides uh, 18 yards from goal. And he was like, you just can't do that. You can't, you can't play the offside trap there. You got, you really got to like try and defend or something. It's hard to explain yeah, exactly, I, I, but. So I've got the quote here. I just pulled up the quote and I, I do agree with him on that point. though. It's something that always drove me crazy um, to take this to Tottenham. When Mar- Mar- when Mauricio Pochettino took over Tottenham, it was like sometimes the defenders that he had there would try to like play an offside way too close to their own goal. It's like at some point, I know you want to be a pressing team and, pl- and use the offside to your advantage, but at some point you got to be comfortable just defending. Anyway, um, uh, Guzan said, quote, he, um, he's talking about how the, yeah, about the, the second goal. He says, uh, I forget how they actually got the ball in and around our box, but eventually he plays the ball at the top of our box to the striker. He's got all the time in the world to take a touch and pick a corner. I haven't seen it back. I think Fernando at one point was stepping up, but I was told that somebody else had kept him on side. But you have to defend when you're 18 yards from our from our goal. We can't be trying to play a guy off sides there. We have to defend. You look at the amount of times their strikers got the ball in dangerous areas and had time. Nobody up their backside. Nobody shoving them, kicking them, or confronting them. And then you look at our attacking players. Their guys halfway up their back, kicking them in the tenth row, winning the ball, fighting, scrapping. We need to do that. Wow. So yeah, he was cut. Yeah, he was like, yeah, he was he was pissed. <laughs> he was not a, he was not a happy man, which he never is after a loss. Well, that's interesting because one of the things I've been kind of thinking, um, as bad as the midfield has been, I don't necessarily feel like the back line has been that culpable in all these things. Mm-hmm. I don't know what y'all would think about that, but that's always kind of been my thought is that at least one of the bright spots has been that there is still talent in the back line at the very least and, and probably the most talented quote-unquote group right now. Um, that's interesting yep. Kind of went and said, no, it's it's they need to step it up too, which I'm sure they do. I mean, everyone does at sure. this point. Yeah. Um, but for me, that's been one of the bright spots. So it's interesting to see him kind of go after that. I I agree with you. I it's hard for me to really oftentimes find direct fault with a center back unless they're like clearly missing a header that they should have won or something like that. But right. so oftentimes center backs can look completely exposed because the midfield in front of them is just not doing their jobs. I kind of goes, um, brings me back to uh, the goal that Cincinnati scored in the Orlando tournament against Atlanta United. Um, Frankie Amaya just picks up the ball in a ton of space in front of the back line. It's like when you have a player running at you like that, it's very hard. Like you're not set up. You don't train and practice like to, to be in those situations. Um, and so you're kind of at sixes and sevens when that ends up happening. It just happens way too much with Atlanta United. And again, it comes down to, like we were talking about, controlling midfield, both in possession, but then also out of possession. Yeah. They just get cut open. They get dragged around and cut open. And that's, I think, what's really demoralizing. Hey, y'all. Uh, before we get back into the show, did just want to tell Chris Herbert and Gabe to go buzz off because we're about to talk about Lucid FC. Yes, the Lucid FC, they're the... Presenting partner, of course, of Five Stripe Final, as you guys all know. And I cannot believe we forgot to talk about this on the show. But Lucid FC put out the mo- the craziest, like, 
clothing reveal project I've ever seen personally. I'm not very like into the culture of it, but it is amazing what they this video that they put out. We retweeted it back a couple weeks ago when it came out uh, from our Five Stripe final account, but we'll post a link to it down in the description of this podcast because it deserves it. It is so cool, and I really recommend everybody check it out because you get to see what the clothes look like. You know, I do these. Um, little reads promos thing for them and I really feel like I do a bad job of describing <laughs> what these clothes are watch the video you can check out the clothes you can see them for yourself they're cool they're like British inspired the video has this whole kind of British uh, vibe to it it's just so cool I-, I could watch it all day long anyway if you watch the video and you like what you see you can go buy some of your own you can just check them out at lucidfc.us and they've got all kinds of shipping options you can pick them up from the store if you want because they're local they're- their headquarters is right down in Buckhead so you can use DSS as your checkout code and you can get free shipping so happy to have these guys on board of course and uh, God, I just can't get over that video so um, alright with that out of the way let's get back to the show while we're while we're on the subject of defense, I guess I'll broach a, a, a topic. Um, I'd like to talk about uh, Franco Escobar and his role the past, you know, two or three games. Um, <laughs> you mean Franco raging all over the field and it just going around like he's drinking like fifteen cups of gamer juice <laughs> the entire time? <laughs> just he's incredible right now. Go ahead though. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think last night I thought he was. He was good again as at center back, which was surprising to me. He didn't obviously he hadn't get didn't get a ton of credit for that performance because just because it was such a bad team performance. But that coupled with the Dallas game, I was really encouraged. I'm just curious your guys' thoughts on his long term prospects with Atlanta United, and if if he could actually be you know a, a long term leader for this team, or is he going to go the way of Leandro Gonzalez Perez and be out the door in six months? Yeah, I um, think he's really interesting player and again I'm I wish I knew what his contract situation was like because I feel like it's got to be nearing its end uh, I know a guy like him is interested in Europe but I think that MLS is kind of the perfect league for him because he's not that technical of a player in my opinion I think it, like his physical attributes are much more impressive and they help him on the field a lot whether it's him playing at right back or even at center back you know his recovery speed um his willingness to just, you know, put his body on the line is is really helpful uh, at when, you know, when you're playing in defense and in this league, especially in MLS. And so I would love for him to stick around and and be a, and be a long term fixture at Atlanta United. Um, what his plans are, maybe, you know, he says he likes it here, but he, he plainly admitted to us. Uh, I think it was from a question that Rob asked when he did that famous media availability a couple weeks ago. Um, that he wants to play in Europe and more, you know, all the respect to him for that. Um, but yeah, I like, I like him a lot. I think he's one of the players who has performed pretty well, despite the fact that again, like we've talked about, it's very hard to look good when you're in this situation. It is nice to see someone caring. I don't think we've talked since yeah. he did the, uh, the, the somewhat famous, I guess now tweet or quote, I think it was a mixture of both about, you know, staying with us in the good times and the bad times and, and true 17s and all that kind of shit. But, you know, it's, um, it's nice to see at least he's trying. I don't know. He's always been such a, an incredible athlete, you know, it, it, to see him just fired up and running around at full speed all the time is kind of amazing. I'm not sure how much it's necessarily helping in a lot of senses, but um, he is putting in the work, which 
large parts of this team are not right now. I, I love for that. I loved when he did that media, how like his, um, the way he like presented himself in that media session where he was just like very calm. It was like a rainy day. You could see him like he was like drinking mate, like pouring it mm-hmm. and sipping it during his interview. Just like so calm, which is just the complete opposite of how he is, <laughs> you know, on the field. It was kind of like a, a funny contrast to see. But yeah, I mean, it kind of, again, going back to like what is the identity of this team? What can people kind of get excited about in the short term? Like, you know, his energy is one of those things. Like that's kind of what I'm talking about where it's like, you know, you just want to see players that feel like they give a shit, you know? And so when you see it, it makes you feel good. And I think that that's why he's gotten a lot of positive feedback from fans recently because of that. Yeah. I'm not necessarily necessarily sure. Like his prospects is maybe like a long-term leader in this team. I kind of hope maybe not, maybe better players come in and I kind of take over that role. Um, Cause Right now, he is good, but he's just not at a top level in MLS by any sense of the word, I don't think. Um, and maybe he could be. He has the, like, the athletic skill set for it, um, but the technical ability just probably isn't there. Um, but maybe he could. Maybe this is kind of a moment where he takes over in the locker room and maybe that sticks and he helps create some kind of culture going forward for this team. Um, but, you know, again, a large part of me kind of hopes – Maybe they move on to other things, you know, not necessarily Franco behind, but maybe bring in other folks who can do it uh, at a higher level. See, personally, I think if you get Franco's the type of guy, if you get a good manager in that um, the players can relate to, he's the guy type of guy, type of guy that would cling on to a good manager that's hopefully someone from Newell's old boys and maybe you played for Manchester United. I don't know, but <laughs> someone, someone yes, who can cling on to a good manager and really, you know, bring out the best in him. So I don't have high hopes that he's going to be here for the long term, but if he is, I'd be pretty happy. So Carlos did Carlos Bocanegra did a uh, media press conference when they signed the team announced Marcelino, Marcelino Moreno. Eventually I'll get that name right on the first time. Um, and uh, I had asked him about kind of like how his personality is going to fit or whatever. And he did say something that I think is relevant here to this Franco discussion, which is he said, um, again, this is Carlos quote. I do think that's something we've been lacking on the field this year. A little bit of personality, a little bit of leadership. Uh, again, not looking to hide from it. That's just been the case for us this year. But I think that that is something that they also lost um, when they decided to part with so many of these players that they got rid of over the offseason. When you're talking about guys like Julian Gressel, not so much of Darlington Agby. He's kind of doesn't have much of a personality especially um anyway but like when you lose big characters like julian gressel leandro gonzalez Perez, especially and i think you may be able to throw tito in there as well just with as like a part of that kind of passionate argentine group of players you know you lose a lot of um your 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 personality and franco escobar is one of the few guys who can kind of help keep some of that continuity of what this team was from that previous era i guess what we we would call it um to whatever is going to be next because clearly it feels like we will be seeing a lot of new faces around here uh next year it's just just kind of feels like a transition year losing tito really really destroyed our handsome quotient i don't think we talk about that enough (laughs) yeah if we lose lose franco too we're just going to be directly in the bottom of the league on that front yeah, we don't talk about the handsome quotient often um, on the podcast. It's something we discuss more in the writers' room. But 
I will say that one thing that you do kind of have to keep in mind too, like one reason Joseph can get away with being an absolute insane person is that he's the second best player in the league and at times the best player in the league, you know? Um, you kind of have to keep that in mind going forward. Why well, it works for Franco right now because he probably is one of the best players on the team, it, top three at least right now, going out on a consistent basis. I think um, if that changes, I always kind of wonder like where players' heads at with that as they kind of you know mm-hmm. down the the totem pole, um, so to speak. And, and one more thing on Franco, and this has been talked about by other people. I'm sure a lot of li- our listeners will have heard this already, but something that Jeff mentioned a few games ago was that um, the team, when the team plays well, Franco plays well. Franco Escobar plays well. Like those two things happen in tandem all the time. It's so true, and I hadn't really thought about it that much until he said it. But I was like, that is right. When Franco Escobar is having a terrible game, Atlanta and I typically plays terrible. And that does happen from time to time. And when he plays really well, usually it just makes such a big, big difference in how the team looks overall. That's that's why playoff Franco is a thing, you know? Yeah. Because when Atlanta takes off in the playoffs and starts doing good stuff, it's because Franco Escobar somehow gets involved and maybe, I don't know, scores one of the winning goals in MLS Cup. Like, stuff like that. Like, it, it's all, almost feels random at times. But he can be a huge part of that for sure. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you guys. There's a fly in here that's really annoying me. Uh, I have a question for you guys, which is, um, how are you feeling about what is going on with Miles Robinson this year? Because I always thought he was like first name on the team sheet. Um, and I still kind of do think that, but he just has not looked like the same guy this year. And I think part of it is maybe down to not having Leandro next to him, like a, a, a passer, a guy who just compliments him really well tactically and just like with what they're able to do soccer wise. Um, but it just looks like Miles is having a much rougher go of it this season, but even in like physical challenges where typically he's like really, really dominant. Um, and like he's, if you've been around him, you know, he's just like a physical specimen and he's been having apparently injury injuries this year. Um, I don't know. I just coming into this season and like about midpoint last season, I was like, okay, this guy will eventually be getting sold to some Bundesliga team eventually for like $10 million or whatever. And now I'm like, not so sure. Uh, I think one X, one aspect we, we haven't really looked at is how often has miles really played in a four back. I mean, throughout his time in Atlanta United, he's had the, most of his success, you know, in the three back or five back, however you want to look at it. So, it's obviously an adjustment for him. It's obviously an, an adjustment to have lesser talented players, especially in the midfield in front of him. Um, I'm, I don't want to say I'm overly concerned. I do have a little bit of doubt in my mind right now as to his long-term aspects, but I don't, I think it's way too early to start panicking, especially mm-hmm. with, especially with all these matches and all these, um, you know, such a grind of a season. He obviously has a, a knack for picking up these minor little injuries here and there. Um, I think it's something to keep an eye on, but I don't, I'm not really re- ready to throw in the towel and I'm on just shit. I would say that, and this is just a thought from someone who, again, skimmed reading the pyramid, didn't really get it. Um, is Miles just one of those center backs that, that needs to be on a team that's on the front foot, you know, and have him just kind of back there being a, a free safety, essentially being a rover, being some kind of sweeper? Because that, to me, was always where he stood out when he was able to, to turn on some speed and show off um, that combination of athleticism and positioning at the same time. If you're never on the front foot and teams are just running at you the entire time, 
I feel like that changes what you're asking of your skill set, and maybe Miles just doesn't thrive in that situation. That's a great point. Uh, yeah, I, I totally get on board with that. And and again, also you don't have a Darlington Nagby in midfield who can just come pick the ball up off them. You know, like he all all Miles really had to do in previous years was yeah win those one on ones. He's so good at uh, using his body as like leverage against an opponent and just shielding them away from the ball. Uh, Rob made a great gif of this um, that I believe is still his pin tweet. Um, but it, and that's just like the perfect uh, example of what Miles Robinson is really, really good at. Um, but then I think what we're seeing this year is an inability for the team to build out of the back because they don't. Ha- not only is he not a passer, but it's not like he has a passer, a natural passer who can come pick the ball up off of him either. Uh, so I think it has the season has exposed exposed some of his flaws, but. Hopefully he can just continue to work on those things and progress. And there's something I haven't been able to ask uh, Stephen Glass about yet, um, but I want to, which is that the last couple games that Miles has played, he's played on the left side of a, of a four-man back line, a left-sided center back. Typically, he's always played on the right side. And so I'm wondering if maybe they think that he can find better passing angles from that left side of position. It's something that a lot of fans don't think about what side the center back, um, the center backs are playing, but I think coat for coaches. It's a, it's a big thing. They seem to be very particular about um, putting their center backs on certain sides where they feel more comfortable and they feel like they can distribute a little bit better. So maybe that will help him out. But um, he just made such huge strides the first, his first couple of years um, improving. And it just seems like that slowed down a little bit in this kind of chaotic year. While we're on this topic, I think something I would really like to see this season going forward with Stephen Glass is I'd like to see him switch up the formation a little bit. Like, I want to see mm-hmm. him switch to the three-back and the five-back and see what he could do. I think uh, there's I think there's been some sort of massive overcorrection to get away from that just because Frank DeBoer played his weird-ass 3-4-3 formation that was never going to work. I mean, Tata played the, the five-back all the time, and it worked perfectly. We have the, we have, still have the personnel with Brooks Lennon and George Bello out there. I'd love to see him try that before the season ends, just to see what we have in that, in that category. Yeah, and I think the other thing about playing a three-back is um... – is it, it, it? It's much easier to get two strikers in the game, um, two central player, two central fo- forward players, just to play them like that and still have control of midfield uh, with a back three. So um, that would be interesting to see because right now, you know, Lenny and I doesn't really have many strikers <laughs> as it is, but they can just use bodies up there like John Gallagher and. I don't know who else you would. You could hell. You could use Jake Mulraney up there too, just to like give you some energy and try to create havoc and and maybe they can make something happen. Um, it's a tough one with John because Adam John, he's just like he is your one natural striker that you have on the roster right now, and he just cannot play all the minutes. So you're gonna have to find other ways to um, you know other other ways to get people involved in that position that are helpful. That's helpful to the team, but. I'm I'm with you, Rob. I would I would like to see something different. Just just because it's different, even. <laughs> so when you're talking about doing something different at this point, like I think you kind of have to keep in mind that every single thing that Atlanta United does and the Glass does from this point forward needs to be in mind for next year. Like anything they're doing for this year is, is kind of pointless. Um, and, and I get. Um, Glass trying to do things maybe a little differently in that overcorrection from Frank, you know, um, but it kind of also seems like he's maybe 
not tweaking enough and maybe not doing enough interesting things to kind of try to figure out where any of these guys might actually fit. And instead, it's just bringing them on Tyler Wolf and going, look it, see? See, I'm doing something different, you know? And if that's the whole thing, then Glass may be in over his head for maybe what this is kind of asking for, which is kind of hot takey. Um, but I did kind of want to get y'all's thoughts on that. Like, we're what? We're four, five, six, 30 games into Stephen Glass's tenure. I don't know at this point. But what are the, the thoughts on him in general? I mean, I think we should give him a little credit as far as personnel concern personnel goes. Like, you look at a player like John Gallagher. I know Joe just called him an, a warm body, but I, I, I think he's proven <laughs> proven a little bit more than that over the past month. Did I say that? Uh, you know, a little, a little, a little bit. Maybe in as many words. Um, he he's gone sorry. from, in my opinion, John Gallagher's gone from you know overlooked. Who gives who gives a damn? Who is John Gallagher? But to you know someone you could actually move forward with on the roster next season as a depth player. So we, I agree with that. We've gotten, we've gotten looks at players like that. Um, I mean, basically scraping the bottom of the barrel as it goes right now. I mean, I just don't know what more you can try as far as personnel goes. Obviously you can change the tactics and formations, which I would love to see as we mentioned. So as far as, you know, trying to find different players is it's pretty much, uh, he's doing the best he can right now, in my opinion. If I if I made it sound like uh, I don't respect and value John, um, my apologies. I do think that I, I he's been a bright spot for sure, hundred um, percent. As a guy, you can he's if if, if he needs a new contract, like he, he'll probably get one from Atlanta United uh, because of what he's done for them this year, and and he's done it. You know, you gotta just respect a guy who's gone through the system like he has, you know, playing in college, getting drafted, playing for the twos, playing, you know, playing in USL, going on loan. He's pretty much done everything you can possibly do <laughs> play in every potential place you can play in the Atlanta United setup at least. So, uh, yeah, a ton of respect to him for that. I think with, when it comes to glass, you know, I feel really bad for him. Like that's like the main thing that I feel, uh, with him because he's just in a, a real, crappy situation where you know it's not a lot of the things that are going on are not his fault um and he's just kind of the face out there he's got to be the one who talks to the media and answers all these tough questions that maybe should be getting directed to you know other people in the organization but he's got to be the one who answers for him and i don't i i just i hate that for steven that that he has to be uh, out there and i think that he is feeling the pressure too i think that's like sometimes he'll he just seems to say things that are that seem unnecessarily like incendiary is not is like seems over like too too much of an adjective there for it. But um, I don't know. So like sometimes it just feels like you can tell he can feel the pressure because of like he'll just I don't know. Sometimes he'll say something that makes it clear to me that that's how he feels. So I, I just hope that after this season, he's able to like get back into his role, get back into his groove as the twos coach, um, and everything will just kind of go back to normal the way it was because I do think that he is good. He, I think he's really good for young players because he is such a hardliner, um, and I think that he keeps a lot of, honestly, he keeps a lot of hype in perspective for a lot of those players when they're when they're playing at that level some of the top or the some of the the bigger prospects he he doesn't like to kind of single them out for praise or for criticism really which i think is good for for players like that so i think that he is very good in his role for what he does at Atlanta United but this is not the role that he 
was initially, you know, this is not the role that he signed up for. And I'm sure that he's liking the experience of having the opportunity, but, um, it, you know, it's just, he's, he's doing his best. He's doing his best. And it's clear. And it's definitely not his fault for what is happening. Yeah. No, if we ever make it seem like any of this is Stephen Glass's fault at all. No, it's, it's not yeah. at all. Um, and I, I didn't mean to get too hot takey back there and say like Stephen Glass is doing anything wrong necessarily or anything like that. I do want to, I do want to step back from that one a little bit, uh, but go ahead. I mean, I, I well, I was going to say, I think it's fair to like criticize, like to like, like Rob was saying, like, you know, I'd like to see a new formation out of him. That's I, like, that's totally fair. Um, you know, but it's just one of those things that he's having to deal with and everybody's kind of having to deal with together. I think the real question is if he should just go ahead and start man marking everybody to make room for uh, Matias Almeida coming in and just go ahead and prepare everyone for that. Just saying. They haven't announced the coach yet. It's been like 80 days. Look, um, at this point, as long as they don't hire, rehire Frank DeBoer, I'm pretty, I'm pretty freaking happy. Like I'm just so, so desperate for coaching news. I'm like DMing as many people as I can, saying, "Hey, have you heard anything?" And nothing right now. So it's kind of weird, and you know, I'm just ready for something to happen. You mean yeah, your Barcelona manager Frank DeBoer after the Netherlands fails to make the World Cup? Because failing up is the only superpower. It's the <laughs> only one that exists, and Frank DeBoer has it. Can we please squash an, a, a growing narrative around the, at least around my small circle of the community that it was all of a sudden it's a, it was a quick or bad decision to fire Frank DeBoer or too early. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life was just squash that right now. Cause yeah, I don't care how many trophies we won last season. That was one of the most diff- I, Honestly, I'm having more fun this season than I was last season. I don't know how that's possible. <laughs> Let's just squash that narrative and let's get a, a coach in here that actually wants to attack and wants to entertain the fans, please. I do. I do think that, like, you know, we've talked about uh, Julian Gressel, where it's like he's gone to DC United and played poorly. So it was kind of like it was. I think it was bad for Atlanta United, bad for Julian Gressel. I think, like, with a guy like Matias Almeida, it can also work like that in the opposite. Like, I think that he's doing really poorly right now in in San Jose because he doesn't have the talent that he kind of needs to be able to operate his his tactical ideas but i think that if he comes to atlanta united and you put the right pieces around him you know atlanta united will 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 you know use the resources that they have available to try to reinforce the squad in the way that a manager wants i think then i think that he can be really successful we've obviously seen flashes of san jose look amazing uh, at times so i think he would be a good fit for atlanta united uh whether he is like sick of MLS in general, like in terms of the, the restrictions that team all teams have in terms of being able to bring in players uh, is another question. I'm not as like kind of tuned into what's going on in San Jose actually. But uh, in fact, the other night I was like, what the hell is happening to them? I didn't realize how bad it had gotten. <laughs> they beat LAFC last night though, which is something Atlanta. Crazy. Uh, so it's, it's, okay. they're giving up, they're giving up like six, like five, six goals a game. And then they beat LAFC. Uh-huh. Okay. If we're seriously entertaining the possibility of Almeida, I I would love it personally. I just don't see any way, you know, San Jose or even maybe even MLS would allow him just to switch teams in the league like that. He's such a high profile coach that he would have, you know, offers from pretty much anywhere in the world, probably South America mostly, but I just don't see him switching teams in the league like that. My understanding is his contract is up after this year. Like he was saying Mm. to finish up his contract. Um, So there you go, folks. They're just mm. throw that into the rumor fire. Maybe, maybe that's why we haven't heard anything 
maybe that's why we haven't heard anything. Which is what I was getting to, because why would you hear anything if the coach was in the same league? It would also maybe explain why we haven't heard anything from like some random South American outlet. This is a fun like tenfold hat thing. Mm, I'm saying, mm, I'm, just I'm saying. buying it. I like it. And I've been thinking I like, about. I like where your head's at, Sam. So, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's a it's a weird thing. Start the rumor mill now. Say it again. I said, start the rumor mill now. Well, exactly. You just endorsed him. You just endorsed him outright. That was Joe Patrick's like stamp of approval. Um, but no, I've been watching a lot of San Jose over the last few months, and it's it's fascinating to watch them uh, suddenly be completely terrible and then one night just show up and have like the most resolve in the world, which is something that Laney and I doesn't have. The way that San Jose celebrated last night that win over LAFC, like I don't even think Atlanta United would have gotten that excited. It was like, I mean, literally like hugging each other on the ground, like multiple groups of hugs going on. Um, I don't know how this turned into a San Jose podcast, but we're warning you guys. That that is a vibe, and that it reminds me of something that I was actually I just thought of again the other day, and this is kind of totally random story, but um, people might like it. It's kind of behind the scenes. So there was a game, and I can't remember if it was sometime during 2017 or 2018, but uh, we were in the locker room, and players are you know doing interviews and um, just kind of like chilling, like sitting at their lockers or whatever. And Paul McDonough walks in with his kids, with his family. And uh, I think he had like two boys with him, and one of them had a uh, had a Joseph shirt on, a, a Joseph Atlanta United kit, and um, and I could see I was like kind of across the room, but I could see McDonough kind of like sh- like have him go over to to Miguel, and the kid like went over to Miguel and like walked over and then like turned around and showed him the uh, that he had like Joseph on the back or whatever, and then Miguel like got up. And was like, hey, and like started like running around, like chasing him. And they like kind of like chase in a little circle. And then Miguel like picked up the kid and um and he was like dying laughing and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, like that's that was nice. That's my story. Family atmosphere, you know, good times. I love it. I love you for sharing that. What a, what a beautiful moment. What a beautiful moment. Let's get back to more beautiful moments, I think. I think that's the entire goal here. Um Oh, there you go. There was like 10 minutes of conspiracy and family story time, which is a <laughs> trademark five strike final. Uh, While Sam eats pudding. Yes. <laughs> what, are you, what are you eating? <laughs> Y'all got anything else to add before we get out of here? No, I'm good. Hopefully it won't be so long until we do another one of these things. It was just, it got kind of depressing there. And Yeah, well, speaking of depressing, it's not going to get any better. We're going to have like... I don't even know how to describe what's about to take place between DC United and Atlanta United, but it's going to be dire. Um, if you have a college football team of choice, maybe watch that instead. Um, <laughs> it's going to be here. There's one playing. <laughs> yeah. Here's someone who's playing. Um, also, side, a side note to that. If any fans want to run our social media accounts, <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly right. Um, someone hit me up. I'll, I'll give you like a full style guide and everything. All you have to do is post toad memes. Um, which can't be that hard. So, <laughs> yeah, no, we're not even going to preview that. Um, don't watch it with children. They don't. They don't deserve to see that. You don't deserve to see, treat yourself better. Don't watch this game Saturday. Go out and be with your family. Do something else. That's my preview. Yeah, I was. I was listening to um, Doug Roberson and uh, Jason Longshore's podcast, uh, the Southern Pride Soccer podcast, which I recommend downloading and checking out uh, after the game last night. They had a really good. 
uh, conversation, by the way, definitely would recommend. If you don't listen to that podcast normally, I would listen to the one that they did last night. I thought it was really good. But um, <clears throat> in it, they t- uh, Atlanta United has never gotten a, earned a point in D.C., and they've essentially all been just miserable trips for Atlanta United going up there. So they've only played Naughty Field once. Uh, and it was that game that was pouring rain, first game of the season last year, where they uh, were handily beaten. Over. So I'm expecting something similar. Over under, four shots on target, both teams combined. Oh, combined? I'll go over combined. Okay. I don't I'll know if either here. team hits it individually. Okay. Rob, thoughts? Uh, under. I'll take the under. <laughs> I'm gonna take the under too. Uh, so there you go. There's your there's your DC preview. You guys just have no faith in John Gallagher. I think he, I think he's going to score a hat trick. I forgot to mention my thing about John Gallagher, which is um, Chris Mueller Jr. That's my new thing. He's very oh, Mueller yeah. vibes for sure. Um, all right, that's all I got. Uh, go follow Rob at Rob underscore Ushery on Twitter. Uh, I think I got that right. Go pat, follow Joe Patrick at J Patrick two hundred on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> It wasn't. I don't think that was right. I think no. There's no underscore. It's just, it's just Rob Osri. Just yeah, just Rob. I don't know why I added shit in there. Um, <laughs> J A Patrick two hundred. No underscore. No nothing on Twitter. Um, go check out him online. Super the games. Well, he's always on the radio, which is super fun. If you're driving on Atlanta and just want to hear more Joe Patrick, go hear him there. Um, Braves baseball is in the playoffs. He's gonna have a lot of stuff on that too. Um, should be fun. There's gonna be so much blood. Sport. Say what? There's going to be so much blood. So much blood. So much more disappointment, too. That's that's the best part. Um, I've got uh, some stuff coming up on the mothership that's really sad. Uh, I'll probably send that out in a little bit. Um, and some other things that are less sad, hopefully, coming up on the mothership as well. Um, so check that out. Uh, that's all I got. Uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye, y'all. Saving.